Welcome to WMRE's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at WMRE. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to The Common Area with your host, David Bodemore. Let's get into this week's topic and guest. Hello, David. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm well. Um, So this week we have joining us John Love, who is president and CEO of UCSF. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you very much, David. Um, So uh, we're going to talk before we get into some research that we did. I just wanted to give you a minute to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about uh, about your funds. Uh, thank you. Well, uh, yes, like as you mentioned, I'm from uh, USCF Investments. Uh, we are we have been in business since uh, 2006. The company was founded by uh, a team of uh, folks who had uh, done uh, mutual funds in the past and launched uh, had the idea for a oil ETF in the early 2000s, which uh, became one of the uh, launched in 2006 and became one of the most well known. ETFs out there, uh, USO, the United States Oil Fund. And we, uh, on, on the heels of that, the success of that, we launched a number of uh, single commodity ETFs and broad commodity ETFs over the years. And uh, we've w- recently launched uh, some uh, new, uh, more thematic type commodity strategies and things that are really just kind of playing into where markets are going, uh, the, the the themes of new energy and uh batteries and uh, sustainability. Uh, we're really uh, exploring that space uh, now, but uh, that's us in a nutshell. And I'll be glad to tell you more about it as we move along. Yeah, that's great. We'll come back to diving in a little bit more in depth on, you know, what's going on in the commodity space and, and, you know, why you have some, why you focused on some of these assets before that, you know, we were part of uh, some research that wealth management dot com did on the use of alts uh, we did a webinar uh, recently as well we'll put a link to that in the show notes you know and, and some we found we were trying to gauge just how much rias were uh, wealth advisors were using alts and what s- some of the things they were looking at including uh, etfs and including interest in commodities as part of that was there any you know fr- from from that research that we did was there anything that you know jumped out as you in terms of like some of the the findings that were most interesting or yeah sure uh well i i think it was largely consistent with i think what we've seen in talking to clients and potential investors and and um uh also with sort of what you know kind of see in the general market and the news about peeping people using alts and those kind of things so i thought it was validating in, in terms of that um, I thought it was encouraging that it showed uh, growth and expected growth uh, in advisors' use of alts over time. Uh, so that was a, a positive. It was one thing that stood out to me was um, some of the things that uh, advisors expressed confidence with or, or lower confidence with are actually in client portfolios at a, at a higher rate. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, some of those things that like non-traded REITs. Mm-hmm. Interval funds, BDCs, tender offer funds, those were kind of at the the low end of advisors' comfort level. And that's not surprising. Um, they're, they're more esoteric things. But um, it was interesting that where a client, some of those things, you know, you might have uh, 16% felt very comfortable with it. It would be 
36 percent, uh, I think, in the case of interval funds in in client portfolios. So that was kind of interesting. Also, I think another thing that stood out was uh, cryptocurrencies uh, mm-hmm. at comfort level. As much as they're in the news and uh, they get so much attention relative to all these other things that are considered alternatives, they're almost at the bottom of the list of, of things that advisors uh, are very confident in their knowledge of. So I, I thought that was kind of illuminating because of how much talk it will get, especially when cryptocurrencies are, are ripping. Um, you'll be doing meetings with, with uh, potential investors and cryptocurrencies all the talk, um, but it is interesting that it's it's down near the bottom of the list. Yeah, that is interesting because you know the, there's a lot of buzz over the newer stuff, but there's a lot of this kind of more traditional alt space, private equity, hedge funds, ETFs that you know, maybe they aren't generating as many you know fun headlines, but are actually more core to what people are doing. Agreed. Uh, I totally agree with that, and that I think that's the other way that. The research is, is validating and, and makes sense is, um, you know, I think one of the first things people would look at is REITs and private equity, as you said. And so that seems to be where advisor confidence is and, and where investments are held at a higher rate. So that makes a lot of sense. You know, so you're in commodities and you're doing it as ETF. So I was just you know curious if you could talk about why you think that, you know, why you decided to go that route for for these kinds of investments? Sure. So, uh, as you know, uh, ETFs really are a, a relatively new instrument in uh, you know the investment landscape. I mean, they're not not that new. They were launched in the the first ETF was in the early '90s. Uh, nevertheless, they really started to uh, pick up steam. I think uh, towards the late '90s, early 2000s. And with the initial wave of ETFs, obviously the first one was SPY, the S&P 500. And as that was successful, people looked to uh, establish ETFs in other major asset classes. And sort of the next frontier when we started looking at ETFs was commodities there. uh, When we considered uh, opening an oil ETF, there there were no uh, commodity ETFs in the marketplace. Mm. Uh, before we launched, in, in short order, before we launched USO in 2006, uh, the first broad commodity ETF launched and the uh, gold GLD ETF uh, launched. And so USO was the third commodity ETF to come to market. Uh, but the reason for it and the the whole idea was to sort of democratize the, the landscape for uh, average investors. Uh, in the past, if you want to direct, invest directly in something like oil, or uh, gold or natural gas, uh, live cattle, you name it, uh, in the commodity space, you basically had to open a futures account. And that required more specialized knowledge for investors. And uh, there were high costs involved uh, back at the, you know, in the early days of in futures investing, they were coming down when we started launching ETFs, but they were still kind of high. But the, the real uh, I think challenge was the you really had to actively manage your futures position, and mm-hmm. I don't mean necessarily deciding you know to get in or get out. That that might be something you did, but if you wanted a long only investment, 
you had to constantly monitor uh, your margin level and you would be you know, on the hook for potentially getting a margin call. The, the great thing about futures is you only have to put up, say, 10 to 15 percent of the investment and then you can invest the other uh the other collateral in, in T-bills, or if you want to take more risk, uh, you can you can do other things. But if the futures position goes against you, you've got to go out and uh, and deliver cash to your uh, to your broker to, to cover margin calls. So that's something you have to be prepared for. The other thing is you have to roll futures forward. Futures contracts, mm-hmm. unlike equities, expire. Right. And so, and you forget to roll uh, you forget to roll an oil contract. Um, oil's not going to show up in your backyard, but you're going right. to have a pretty big headache uh, to deal with. So putting it in an ETF means we manage all that for you. And it's a long only investment. And it was a way to really deliver deliver that uh, experience to investors. And how do you build the indexes on these? Well, that depends on, on the fund. Um, the first one, again, uh, are single commodity products generally followed a formula where we would invest in the the front month future and we would roll it in uh, some time frame uh, shortly before expiration. Uh, Generally with our earlier funds, we were doing it about two weeks before expiration. So what we were trying to do is uh, there really wasn't an index. It was just give you exposure, give investors exposure to the, the front of the futures curve where, you know, all the headline headlines are. So when you see, you know, oil's up 1% today, we wanted the, the ETF to, to reflect that. Uh, as we went down the line, we partnered with a company uh, called Summerhaven in Connecticut, and they are, uh, their, their uh, principals all have uh, very deep commodity backgrounds, and they had developed an index uh, as the Summerhaven Dynamic Commodity Index that really was kind of revolutionary in the way it approached uh, commodity investing. Instead of doing what traditionally had been done, which is look at the liquid commodities that are out there, say 25 to 30 commodities, and buy them in weights relative to either their their importance to the global economy, either by, say, liquidity, how much people were trading them, using them, or by by size, just the amount of uh, dollars in, invested in these commodities. The, the way a typical something equivalent to, to a market cap index in equities would work. What these guys did is at Summerhaven was um, one of the founding partners is a Yale professor named uh, Geert Rauenhorst, and, and he published some seminal studies on commodities and, and which the index was based. And, and what they did is say, you know, let's not hold the entire commodity universe at a time. Let's always be in all commodity sec- have at least something in all commodity sectors. But let's look at what's really driving the returns to commodities over the long term. And the answer to that question uh, that's answered in in uh, in the research is is really scarcity. Scarcity is what tends to drive outperformance of certain commodities over others. And there's turns out there's actually a signal of when the market thinks something is scarce, um, reflecting that you know something is scarce, or if the market is concerned about something becoming scarce. The common saying saying goes. Um, you know, you need wheat for your Wheaties, uh, you know, today, not uh, not uh, six months down the line. So that what that tends to do is mean that people bid up the uh, the price of the uh, the front of the futures curve. And that creates uh, a signal uh, where the futures curve is uh, basically downsloping. That signal is called backwardation. Mm-hmm. And if that exists, you, not only do you uh, you get something 
you get a positive roll yield. I can explain that in a little bit separately, but basically that's telling us that the market thinks that something, a commodity is more likely to, to be scarce than not. And so what we do is we invest, we rebalance every month, according to the index, uh, the index holds 14 equal weighted commodities at a time. And it, it basically is looking for that, that scarcity signal. And what is the place of commodities and in portfolios, especially given you know what we've seen with some of the volatility in the traditional sixty forty over over the past you know couple of years? Sure, well, I think you know you know it was uh, the last decade, the previous decade was really tough for commodities, and then last year or year when equities and bonds were down and and going down in in tandem, commodities really showed uh, why you want them in, in a portfolio and. Uh, they've done that consistently over time. If you look at, at commodities, they have long-term similar returns to stocks, similar volatility, and they're not correlated with stocks and bonds. So where they belong is uh, in any strategic asset allocation, they provide true diversification. And again, over the long term, they, they provide positive returns. That was a tough story to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, in the age of low interest rates, easy money, because that uh, was driving up the prices of, of equities and uh, relative to commodities. And, and uh, there were a number of reasons commodities were, were underperforming in the last decade. But that that is, you have cycles uh, where commodities underperform. That was a, kind of a long one, but we think that that time has passed. And if you look at the long history of commodities, and especially if you invest in them, you know, in a, in a broad way and in a smart index, then, you know, I think they, they deserve to be a core holding uh, alongside uh, everything else. And again, I'm, I'm talking broad commodities. Mm -hmm. uh, investors can also look at individual commodities. A lot of folks treat gold almost as its own asset class. And sometimes people fav favor certain commodities over others. So I think you can take short-term tactical views on some single commodities maybe a strategic view with gold, but I but I think broad commodities uh, as a core holding has uh, an important place in portfolios. And, you know, it's going to you know vary by investor, but do you have like like a rough threshold for what percentage of, or, you know, a rough guideline for what percentage of portfolios do you think is appropriate for, for commodities? Yeah, I, uh, you know, we've certainly seen the range over time. And I, I think, you know, you really start to see a little bit of improvement in sharp ratios uh, in, in diversification benefit, even even just dipping your toe in with, you know, three to five percent. I think you're going to get a more meaningful uh, impact on a portfolio around 10 to 15 percent. Uh, we've seen allocations in in the high 20s. Um, I think that just depends on on people's comfort level. I, I tend to look, uh, even though it's not on your list, I mean, commodities, uh, I tend to think of as kind of the first alternative to stocks mm -hmm. and bonds. And uh, if you kind of look at a, you know, an alternative allocation, if, if investors are allocating, say, 30% to, to alternatives, then I think, you know, commodities, I think it's reasonable to have them be uh, a third of that uh, and, and potentially more depending on, on, what, what you're aiming to do with uh, what, what you want the commodities to do and uh, whatever else you're using. And, and um, so I think, I think around 10 to 15% is a reasonable allocation, um, but we've seen, we've seen it run the gamut. And 
you've launched, I think, is it three ETFs in 2023 alone? Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we're, we're jumping into uh, new things. We launched two sustainable commodity funds. Um, one is a broad basket uh, that, that just launched actually last last week. The ticker is ZSC. And it's a, a combination of really three uh, themes in the, in the in the that we see in the commodity space going forward, uh, which I'll explain in a second. But I want to step back. The the one we launched first uh, was a battery metals electrification metals ETF, and the reason we did that is just because we think that's a a really critical theme moving forward. But to to step back a little bit, we are you know our our start was in fossil fuel ETFs and. That's still a large part of the firm. We branched into broader commodities, into some other, into some other things. But the sustainable story is is here. It's happening now, regardless of politics uh, or anything like that. These metals uh, are, I think, a significant story. Look, looking into the the next decade and beyond, they're in in a way they're the new gas, and you can't go to a gas station and buy this stuff. It, it you know in one in one formula they're individual metals that that uh, contribute to all this infrastructure we need not just the batteries but all of that and so what we're kind of trying to do is is uh, while fossil fuels aren't aren't going away uh, in fact um, you know I, I don't think that uh, oil is expected to peak till about 2030 and even after it does it will it will remain a commodity uh, it will it remain an important commodity. Uh, for the long term, uh, you know, even if it de- even if it declines from its peak and and more sustainable sources uh, take off, uh, just like wood is still a commodity that we use today, uh, that used to be our primary energy source, and then coal, oil, and natural gas will will still be uh, important energy sources, but declining over time. So uh, we see kind of two things. One is there really is an investment thesis here to these sustainable metal or these these electrification metals and the sustainability story. So there's the investment thesis and there is also sort of the good for the environment, um, you know, move forward uh, thesis as well. And we think that uh, it's an important uh, space to, to step into. And uh, the third fund we launched this, launched this year uh, just kind of capitalizes on our experience in, in energy. Uh, we launched a uh, absolute return energy fund, uh, which uh, uses a quantitative methodology that to allocate between different futures contracts, uh, different uh, types of positions and futures uh, that uh, we hope is over the long term won't be correlated with anything in particular, but uh, we'll just uh, deliver uh, good returns for investors. So it's a it's a new product, but uh, so far it seems like it's off to a good start and we hope, hope people take a look in the Ticker for that one is USEUs, and these are are all of these active, uh, actively managed ETFs. They are uh, uh, they are active. Yes, uh, they all follow uh, systems, though they're systematic. So there's no discretion involved. We're mm-hmm. we're not with any of these things uh, looking at the news and and taking positions based on that. The battery metals ETF is basically looking at how important uh, is the battery and electrification thematic to particular uh, to a particular metal. So say lithium, copper, that kind of thing. And it weights them based on that. Um, so not necessarily 
uh, how much uh, copper is used in a battery, how much lithium is used in the battery, but how much uh, do we think, how much is, 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 is uh, copper used for batteries and electrification versus all other uses? So how much is it of its return do we think will be driven by, you know, this, this pivot to this new gas, this new form of energy and the, uh, the absolute return fund, like I mentioned, it's a, it's a quantitative system and our new broad commodity ETF uh, is similar to the battery metals ETF, but it has allocations to agriculture and to uh, renewable energy uh, as well as uh the uh, electrification metals. So it's a kind of combination of all three. So it seems like overall, like, you know, looking at UCSF, it's a good place to look if you're thinking about the energy transition and thinking about just some of these bigger picture ways that the economy is being restructured and and you're looking at how, how to kind of help manage investment through that. Is that right? That's exactly right. And, and we think these are, are long-term plays this is something that uh, obviously has been, you know, the shift, the transition to uh, the electrification shift to sustainable energy sources and all of that has been in play for a long time. But, you know, it's in the last few years, it's, it's really heated up and it's going to continue to. There's no doubt that that will continue to happen. And so that that's exactly what we're doing is sort of transitioning uh, along with the economy and the market uh, into this new space. And we hope we can, you know, that our products help investors participate in that uh, as uh, as the future develops. Well, we've been talking for for a bit here, so um, you know, we appreciate you taking taking your time. Just wanted to you know give you an opportunity if you have any other points that uh, we, that I didn't ask you about that you think would be good takeaways for for listeners. Um, I think uh, well, one, I think uh, it was it was great uh, the the research that you guys put out uh, simply because uh, it's something that we think investors need to be looking at uh, alternatives, not just commodities but uh, there's there's you know many other things that can diversify a portfolio and you know this year we have seen investors still kind of behaving like or still thinking uh that that this decade is like the last one with strong returns to nasdaq and tech stocks and and you know sometimes justified with the uh the ai uh revolution but also sometimes uh concentrated and getting carried away. And uh, last year, again, you know, proved the importance of, of commodities and some other alternatives. And, uh, you know, there's no, there's no year where any one particular investment uh, is going to, or there's no time that an investment is always going to outperform. So unfortunately, sometimes people put alternatives in their portfolio and they see, well, Apple did, you know, everybody that was in Apple made way more money than I did this year. So I'm, I'm going to concentrate in, in tech stocks or, or, you know, or just the, you know, just U S stocks or whatever it, it, it may be. And diversification is, is important, but you know, real diversification matters too. And that means allocating beyond what we're comfortable with to, to things that are expected to really uh, improve portfolio returns over the long haul. And that's what, uh, your study, I think, is is showing is giving people insights into these different asset classes or sub asset classes within alternatives, and and that's what we're trying to do with 
commodities and uh, and our other uh, products as well. Let's give investors uh, alternatives to your uh, traditional uh, traditional investments. Hopefully for better outcomes over their uh, their lifetimes and over the long haul. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're going to put um, in the show notes, we'll put links to the the webinars we did and as well as the research. And it's something that we're planning to uh, revisit as like kind of a benchmark. And so hopefully we'll see over time um, how how the responses to that uh, evolve. So we you know appreciate um, your participation in that and, uh, and and appreciate you taking the time to to speak with me today. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Please visit wealthmanagement.com slash real dash estate. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WMRE or Informa. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 